0: Hi everyone and welcome to <laughs> anesthesia on youtube and on our podcast and again we have a live vibe episode with stephanie uh, that's coming up right away hey stephanie how's it going
1: i'm good thanks for
0: hearing <laughs> hey, so thanks very much for joining us and um obviously it's a really big help for people actually around the world who actually listen to this stuff and just hear us chatting about these situations, uh, which is, you know, it sounds daunting, but they're really appreciative of us having these chats about what we do for cases. So, yeah, thanks for coming along. Um, no, that's
1: all right. Um, so I just found out I got a bye-bye yesterday, which is exciting news. Ah,
0: well done. Excellent.
1: Yeah.
0: This could be pretty awesome.
1: job
0: done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This could be a lot Yeah, more- right? <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise.
1: Yeah, no, I will have to you before. Yeah, 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 no.
0: <laughs> Hey, Stephanie, so tell us a bit about yourself. Where are you based? Um, yeah, what's your what's your training situation?
1: I'm um, a four-year registrar in a PM hospital. Um, what I was gonna say? Um, yeah, and that's. Very hard. Sorry.
0: That's in Brisbane, is it?
1: No, it's actually New South Wales, oh. and it's where all the COVID cases are. over on?
0: Oh, I'm sorry. So it's
1: Being a bit stressful uh, lately, but you know. It's getting better, which is good news.
0: Our hospital just became a COVID stream hospital, so we're doing all the training and ramping everything up. And yeah, it's all. (laughs) All I can think is we're going to look back on this time, and you know, we'll 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 be proud of what we've done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so So, um, is any uh, have you had many practice survivors?
1: Yes. So um, as soon as I finished my return, I took a week off studying, and then I was trying to ask for advice about how to how to start preparing for the Bible and all mm-hmm. the ago, it was like, you just get by with some people. Yep. Um, so I started, um, but my feedbacks were, you know, too disorganized, uh, too messy. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I attended your bootcamp that I realized, okay, it all makes sense now. You just have to have a structure for everything and that's how it works.
0: Excellent, great. So we'll work, we'll work on that. And I might even do this, if, if, if on the off chance, you don't give me a structure for a structured question, I might just go, hey, Stephanie, structure. <laughs> and step back just to just Perfect. to just, to, yeah. just to practice it. Yeah. Uh, so good, I think I think that's pretty fair. That's a good thing to work on. So I might just put this into the chat now, um, uh, and this is this is your stem, and I'll read it out as well. Um, and would you like like a minute or so to think about that? Yeah. Okay, good. So just for everyone, uh, our clinical situation is a sixty-year-old male for an L three to L five lumbar laminectomy. Um, and you see this patient in the pre-admission clinic. The patient is 150 kilograms and 170 centimeters, so a BMI of 51. The patient has diabetes, maybe obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, the patient is a smoker and also has hypertension and had a previous lap, lap band, uh, one of the weight loss surgeries, and has lost 30 kilos since that uh, two years ago. And the question is, uh, what is the definition of obesity? So sometimes these questions are quite direct, uh, and this is going to be one of those times. Uh, so I'll give you about a minute, and then we can have a chat. Mm-hmm. Hey Stephanie. So that's about a minute, and you know this doesn't happen in the actual exam. But what did you write down during that reading time?
1: So I was trying to imagine what the next question would be. Um, well, my feeling was that probably you will be asking what are the effects of morbid obesity in anesthesia or my anesthetic for this patient. Mm-hmm. So I start um, writing about the different systems affected. Mm-hmm. Um, what will I say if that was the question? How will I target that?
0: Yeah, that's fair because that would be a very broad thing. Might as well get some things on, you know, some things written down. Excellent. Mm-hmm. So, uh, candidate, do, do you understand the question? And mm-hmm. if so, please continue. What is the definition of obesity?
1: So obesity is considered a BMI of more than thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a the new uh, WHO classification where the, uh, thirty to thirty-four is a class one, and it's also a ASA one. Uh, 35 to 40, it's a, a class two obesity, and um, also ASI two. and class three, it's more than 40, um, and also ASI three.
0: Fantastic. Now, what do you want to know on assessment in the pre-admission clinic?
1: Um, I will. Um, so part of my assessment would um, be in terms of history, examination, and uh, investigations, and potentially consultations. Um, so I want to find out uh, further, uh, apart from my standard anesthetic assessment in terms of medical illnesses, medications, allergies, and previous anesthetic issues, uh, I want to investigate further about his diabetes and glycemic control, whether he's on insulin or oral antiglycemic, and whether, whether he has he's got any micro or macrovascular com, com, complications. Um, there is potential for OSA as per the STEM. So I will ask if he had a formal sleep study uh, and he's, if he's required to use CPAP, uh, and I will perform a, a stop on his score, which I suspect will be high on this patient. Um, he score significant risk factors for ischemic heart disease, being obese, diabetic and hypertension. So we'll ask for active uh, uh, signs, symptoms of uh, active cardiac disease like syncope, arrhythmia, chest pain, uh, palpitations. Um, I will inquire if he previously have any uh, a heart attack or a cardiac event. Um, I will also ask about his smoking history, how many cigarettes per day, and what is his pack year history. Um, and finally, about the lab, the lab band, uh, two years ago, I will ask if there are still symptoms associated to it, um, because a common side effect of this is a reflux or regurgitation, which put this patient at high risk of aspiration. Um, Then I'll move on to my examination Uh, in addition for my standard airway assessment. I'll be um, concerned, I will look for features uh, that make me feel that this patient is difficult to back mass ventilate, difficult laryngoscopy, and I'll potentially assess him for for front-of-neck access. I will assess his vital signs, and I'll also look for right or left ventricular dysfunction signs uh, such as edema, increased JVP, crepitations. I will listen to the chest looking for whiz. Um, I will assess, I forgot to mention, but earlier, I will assess whether his obesity is central, which is commonly associated to more comorbidities than peripheral. Finally, in terms of investigations, I will request a full blood count. You see a group and hold, a HbA1c, um, an X-ray, not only to see lung fields, but also to look for cardiomegaly. Um, I will organize an ABG, because I'm suspecting OSA, and also request a spirometry, ECG, and potentially an echo if there are features suggestive, if any any, of the both findings are normal.
0: yeah, now, you find, you find on your assessment that the patient uh, has very little exercise tolerance, um, so they, they can't walk up a flight of stairs, they get very, very short of breath, and they can barely walk 50 to 100 metres uh, without without stopping. Um, what do you do with that?
1: Well, with obesity, it's it's a bit um, difficult to determine what is the cause of this decrease of um, functional status. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean cardiovascular or respiratory uh, function. Um, if they but if any of the previous tests like ECG, ABG, or spirometry are abnormal, I would refer this patient. Um, in addition to the findings you mentioned, I would refer this patient for a uh, cardiopulmonary exercise, exercise testing and cardiology review.
0: Okay. So let's say the, patient, the person, for whatever reason, is unable. Let's say they've got pre, they've got this um, back pain from the uh, which requires a lumbar laminectomy. Uh, they can't be on a cycle for the cardiopulmonary exercise test, what do you do?
1: Uh, so in that case, he will have to have a chemical exercise test. Like what? Um, so the, uh, my understanding is they use a, uh, I forgot what it is, it's a do- dopamine, I think. Um, yeah, you can
0: do a dobutamine stress test.
1: Dobutamine, yeah. do- uh, with the aim to increase the heart rate and determine if there is ischemia associated to it.
0: Okay, um, sounds good. Um, Let's let's say that uh, the the surgeon wants to do this case next week and you can't book in for a stress test. The patient, uh, let's say the details you find are you you found the point size tolerance but they don't have any other features on examination. So their diabetes is pretty, let's say it's pretty well controlled. Uh, They're likely to have OSA but you don't have a sleep study uh, and there's no CPAP. You've got no examination findings of left or right heart failure uh, on, on examination. There are, t- let's say they're a 10-pack year history smoker and their hypertension has been managed. The blood pressure has, over the last few readings, is it from 120 to 140 on numerous occasions managed with, say, fruzemide. Uh, what do you do? You can't get the stress test uh, soon b- b- before the surgery.
1: Uh, okay. Um, so this is not an emergency procedure. Um, it's purely elective. Uh, even if this patient is stable from the comorbidities point of view, it's a high-risk procedure, relatively high-risk procedure. Um, I think it would be appropriate to delay the procedure, speak to the surgeon, delay the procedure and organize the stress test.
0: Okay, sounds good. You delay that um, and then they come back to you and pack uh, after their stress test. The stress test was all normal. Um, okay. now let's talk about the diabetes you find out that the patient has been recently started on the zig duo which is glyflosin and metformin how do you manage this peroperatively
1: uh, so as you know flosins, uh have increased risk of eoglycemic L- uh, um, diabetes, um L- ketosis
0: yeah ketoacidosis
1: L- it ketosis sorry uh, um, So, um, this is a relatively high-risk procedure. I don't expect this patient to be uh, tolerating oral intake straight away after the procedure, especially with his comorbidities, um, like OSA, uh, maybe pain-related, or prolonged procedure might be a bit drowsy, Um, so I don't expect him to tolerate oral intake straight away. So my plan for the flossings will be to uh, withhold the flossings today prior, two days prior to the surgery, the day of the surgery. Um, as soon as he arrives to pack you. Sorry. Uh,
0: so uh, two, two days prior to the surgery.
1: And the day of the surgery. So I mean, two h-
0: days. How many hours is that prior?
1: 72 hours.
0: Good, 72 hours. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, so you're withholding the Zig Duo 72 hours. Is there mm-hmm. anything else you're doing with that?
1: Um, you mentioned that his glycemic control—it's relatively good.
0: On on all those uh, medications, it's been relatively good. Uh, did
1: there you... are two options. I um we I can give a script for metformin uh, as a sing, as a single agent, agent, or I can just encourage him to have a low carbohydrate diet. Which one do um, you,
0: Which one do you decide?
1: Given his glycemic control is being good, I will um, I will just uh, stop the flossing, the combination flossing for today. Is days. there
0: a, is there a guideline for this?
1: Yeah, there's a new. I saw it on the blue book on 2019 blue book of Anska and the recommendation it's um, it's no fixed rule. It's a case by case decision based on the glycemic control.
0: Okay, good. Look, I I, I got to be honest. so Our local guidelines just say to start metformin instead of stopping straight off. Let's say oh. if they're on nothing else, then for me, it makes sense to continue metformin. But if you can reference a guideline and it's part of, you know, you know you can confidently say that. Uh, yeah. But also just, just check on that point because I'm obviously not an endocrinologist. So uh, our recent meeting with the endocrine, they, they pretty much have said switch to metformin, but that could be just a local thing. And I won't presume to know everything about that. Um, okay, good. Let's go with um, what? Well, uh, now, uh, you get a call the day before and the patient's blood sugar levels um are greater than 15 so let's say they're 16 uh and the pa- and the patient wants to know what to do about that what do you do
1: uh, so his current regime is just metformin plus the flossing is that correct nothing else no insulin nothing else yeah nothing
0: else it's literally just on the uh, zig duo uh, which you've now changed just to metformin mm-hmm.
1: so it's one um so uh I will assess the trend of this. If it's one off, mm-hmm. it's just uh, one off. Just one off, um, and there is well, they're usually asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. Um, I will encourage just yes, to drink fluids and check his sugar levels one hour after. Also, I will check the time of this reading. If it's immediately postprandial, it's not as bad as um, you know fasting. Um, I will encourage to drink fluids and check his reading again in one hour before
0: doing something else. That sounds good. Um, let's say the other readings are fine and you decide to then proceed for the day of the operation. Now, what do you, let, let's say, what makes you concerned about this patient's airway? What are the, what are the things that make you worried about the patient's airway?
1: Uh, so a BMI of more than 50 is an independent risk factor for difficult back mass ventilation and difficult intubation and also difficult front of neck access. Mm-hmm. So, um, yep. Yeah everything around this patient will be difficult. Um, I will look for other features, uh, like a broad neck, um, the dentures, he's uh, got a bia, I will encourage him to, to shave to, to shave his bia before coming on the day. Um, okay, that's good.
0: Now, let's say you consider all these things and the next circumference is great. Do you have a number for neck circumference? Being yeah, practiced? for
1: male it's more than forty-two centimeters.
0: Fantastic. And this ma- this male has a neck circumference greater than forty-two centimeters. His BMI is greater than fifty, so you've identified all the um, You're worried about this patient's airway for those reasons. Uh, let's say for everything you know now, the patient arrives, everything else is stable, blood sugars are fine, and you proceed. You're about to proceed with the anesthetic. What is your anesthetic for this patient who's having the laminectomy?
1: Okay. Um, So, I make sure that I have adequate monitoring Uh, for this patient. I will have an airline, uh, apparently. I will make sure that he's got two large-bore cannulas in the hands. Um, um, I will perform, um, depending on his high risk of aspiration, which I I expect him to be, Given the lab um, banding, I will perform a rapid sequence induction, and my technique for this will be to r- ramp the patient to make sure that the, l- the ear tragus is at the same level as the sternal notch. Um, I will pre-oxygenate him with high-flow nasal prones, and I will use a videolaryngoscope uh, with um, a, oh the name has skipped my uh, reinforced tube. Sorry, um, mm-hmm. with a stylet. Uh, in terms of drugs, I will use, use alfentanil 1.5 milligrams for this patient, 200 milligrams of saxamethronium and 200 to 300 of propofol. I'll make sure that there is metaraminol infusion inf- running. Um,
0: uh, Good. You do the induction. The induction actually goes quite stably. Patient's blood pressure drops, but you're, you're running the metaraminol, and it does uh, improve um, you mentioned two hundred to three hundred a profile. What number do you give as your mm-hmm. first dose?
1: I think I will have to see the patient, and um, you know, you have a good robust sixty-year-old. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes it's a, it's a feeling. Um, I probably should stick to one number. I would say three hundred, and that's what I will do.
0: Okay, good. Cool. Now, just on the cover, that that, yeah, absolutely. The patient seems robust, but if this patient yeah. can't can't walk for that reason, the patient feels less than robust 60 year old with, with the increased weight. I I feel like I personally would err on the side of going to say 150 to 200, then titrate after that it's safer than saying in the exams, you can't see the patient. You don't have all the other cues to say 300 straight away for a 60 year old, even at that weight, it potentially is a bit risky, Uh, but let's, let's, let's keep your own. So what happens is you've started the case, Uh, The patient is in the prone position. The surgeons are well into it, uh, 30 minutes after incision. You're out in the tea room, uh, and then when you come back, you notice that the registrar has turned the metronome infusion. Um, Now it's about 15, so 10 milligrams an hour, so 20 mils an hour uh, to keep a blood pressure of 95 systolic on the art line. What do you do?
1: So I will confirm the reading by scanning the monitor's uh, finger on the pulse, um, look at the canisters, look at the drapes. In the meantime, while I establish a diagnosis, I will I start with some temporizing measures like sure. increasing and just, to, and just to
0: clarify, uh, yeah, the transducer is at the appropriate level at head height. Um, you've scanned the monitors. The patient is tachycardic. So let's say the heart rate has been uh, moving up from 60 to start with. Now it's about 100, 110. And blood pressure has been, you know, pre- previously it's about 110. And now the amine has been increasing and the blood pressure is now 90 uh, you look at the rest of the environment and it looks pretty normal except for that.
1: Mm-hmm. So I will give uh metraminol 0.5 milligrams mm-hmm. um, and we'll run fluids 250 to 5. Actually, I will give 500 mils of crystalloid mm-hmm. and I will assess a response to this. Yeah.
0: You get a response, but then it doesn't last very long. In the next five minutes, the blood pressure drops back down. The metraminol infusion is still very high at around 10 milligrams per hour.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'll communicate this to the surgeons. Um, the most likely cause it's a um, more hemorrh- shock um, or cold bleeding. Um, so I will inquire if, if, if something has happened that I can't see. The, surgi- my end.
0: the surgeons are telling you that their surgical field looks clear and they don't have any concerns here.
1: Mm-hmm. Other potential differential are um, a cardiac event like MI um, to... To anesthesia, been too deep, um, dehydration from fasting. Um, so I will continue, I will increase my metaraminal, which is already very high, um, give another bolus, uh, request an ABG to look for lactate, hemoglobin, um, pH to help me to, with my differentials. Um, and um, yeah, I'll, I will, as I'm doing this, I will assess the response of my previous.
0: You did, you did mention ischemia. What are, what are you looking up to rule out that?
1: Uh, so I look at my monitor. I look at the ACG. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, hey, good. The monitors look actually fine yeah. from a ST elevation, T wave, uh, and ischemia point of view. You take the ABG, it comes back mm-hmm. pretty quickly, and the HB, which preoperatively was 120, it's now 90.
1: That's 90? 90. 90, yeah. Okay so this is a significant uh, drop 30 units so I will communicate this to the surgeons um the like the most likely differential it's hemorrhagic shock as we said before for no cold bleeding um, however, um eh,
0: the surgeons tell you that the, the,
1: the
0: surgeons tell you absolutely. that the, the, the surgeons tell you that the field looks clear what do you, what do you say to them
1: Uh, that's obviously not possible. We have clinical context of hypotension, tachycardia, Mm -hmm. and an ABG that shows a significant drop of blood pressure. So there is something Mm -hmm. going on.
0: Yeah, Um, and where do you think the bleeding might be coming from if it is?
1: Okay. Okay. Um, If it's not a surgical field, uh, I'd be concerned about something um, intra-abdominal, an intra-abdominal organ affected by the prone position. And um, yes,
0: as you say, your concerns. Uh, the surgeon said, "Look, one of our nails uh, potentially may have. There's case reports of nails uh, lacerating arteries on the other side. Um, I think we'll need to flip, flip, uh, flip back to supine to try and uh, ascertain what this is and go to laparotomy. What do you do?"
1: Yeah. Um, so this is a critical scenario. Um, this patient is hemodynamically unstable, and we need to quickly flip. Um, so I will. Uh, Press the emergency buzzer, because so I need hands-on. Um, I will, um, I will uh, aim to stabilize my patient in, in preparation for the flipping. So increase the FiO2 if I haven't done it before. Um, continue to u- give fluids and uh, organize a, a nice and smooth uh, m- movement from prone to spine. Um,
0: uh-huh. Yep, you, you do that, keep going.
1: Um, in the meantime, I will organize uh, blood from blood bank. Um, I, get, I delegate people someone to get some blood products. I will start uh, running some ternexamic acid. So I'll give one gram as a slow bolus followed by an infusion. I make sure that uh, medically uh, um, he's a sta- a stable, uh, a stable from the coagulation point of view. So he's normothermic and uh, he's no acidotics. If I will increase the minute ventilation it needed to be. Um, and the rest is a strict communication between the surgical team um, and myself like, to, to, to see what is the next step.
0: Okay, good. Uh, let's say that they do, they go supine luckily there's a vascular surgeon in the next theater who's able to come and assist with the laparotomy you do a laparotomy after the surgeons have packed the back close it up and it's they're safe with the with the back operation and they do find a lot of blood retroperitoneally um good good now just because we're after structures if you were to structure headings for how you have to manage this crisis how would you structure those headings because you've, uh, actually, you've actually given me a lot of those already, but just as a reiteration, even for the audience, to see uh, how you were thinking about that in your mind, how you do this in real life. What are your thoughts?
1: Um, so um, I'd probably say what the issues are, uh, <laughs> the patient at stable unstable. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I need to do, which is proning, and who do I need, which is um, vascular team, uh, blood bank uh, and preparation for a laparotomy.
0: That's great. That's actually a really good classification. In my mind, I was thinking the same thing. Look, um, there's a very concerning situation because it's a potentially massive hemorrhage requiring massive transfusion. Uh, I've got a patient that needs to be flip prone. I need to get other staff, vascular surgeon, extra extra team. Uh, and then I need to manage the human instability, which is a whole thing in itself and blood transfusion, massive transfusion, which is, If and, and if you were to then, if I was to probe into the massive transfusion, tell me all the elements of massive transfusion that you would organize. Uh,
1: okay, ideally um, I will, you mean as a massive transfusion protocol? What I would what I organize? Yeah, like or just...
0: broadly speaking, like, you know, what are the things that you do for a massive transfusion, just just talk broadly about it. Um, okay, for massive
1: transfusion, um, so it has to be a senior person who makes the decision. Mm-hmm. Um, I will contact blood bank and I will request the NTP to be actioned. Um, the NTP consists of four units of pack cells, uh, four units of FFP, and um, plus uh, plus a unit platelets. Um, my goal will be to do the second the second NTP. P 2 P gold directed therapy so i will uh, as i am starting transfusion i will organize a roten um, for a more goal directed therapy approach
0: mm. is there any other devices that you can ask for any other equipment
1: uh you mean tech which is same as oh,
0: yeah so you i definitely agree use roten point of care yeah. and re- repeated yeah. abgs absolutely uh any other equipment that might help you uh, to...
1: Yeah, um, so a cell saver will be very useful.
0: You will. Uh, anything mm-hmm. else to get the blood in quickly?
1: So you need a level one rapid infuser.
0: Fantastic. Make
1: sure that is adequate, yeah, adequate access.
0: Good. And uh, that's the end of the Viva. Stephanie, that was really well done. I think your <laughs> categorizations were really good. And, and just to go through, so firstly, how, how do you feel?
1: I feel nervous I think yeah no, I, I knew it would be difficult I felt it you know it's a bit of pressure being on YouTube oh, I, um, absolutely. But I, I, thought, I thought if I can do this I can do the exam and this would be yeah
0: Look, I think you did really well because you didn't actually sound nervous so I think no? that was, I think that was really good and trust me I, I get nervous when I get vibed as well so <laughs> <laughs> <fine>. <laughs> um, this, oh, I just recently recorded a viva and I I, I said coarseness of breath and shortness of voice.
1: <laughs> I can't believe I said
0: that. Anyway, anyway. so, so the, the good thing about this, um, you told me what, you, when I, you gave me a good definition and then you told me what you wanted to know on assessment. And so uh, the, the, the good thing is you, you went through each of those and you said for diabetes, I want to know this, 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 and this. And so the the thing that you did well that other people don't do is you listed off lots of facts very quickly. So, I want to know about the condition of the diabetes, very instability of it, which means what's the control like BSLs, HbA1c, micro and macrovascular complications, what's the treatment? And that's kind of it. I've listed those quickly and I've given a, you know, I'm not taking a lot of time to go through what is a very long question. I've, your are framing as well, because I think you would have said something like, I would want to assess each of these conditions or something like that. That means that the, examiner knows that I'm going to go through these in detail. And when I was in the exam, I had a similar situation where I had an obese patient with lots of comorbidities. And I really thought, is the, does the examiner really want me to go through every little thing? And so I said, okay, this is the game. I'm going to play this game. Let me tell you about each of the things, but I'm going to tell you what my structure is to the start with. I'm going to assess each of these very thoroughly. Pause, diabetes, blah, 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 severe stability, facts, 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 facts. OSA is a diagnosed, like you said, uh, sleep study, is are they on sleep, are they on CPAP? And the one extra thing, because I've got my severity, stability, cause complication framework, I'd say, and is there any obvious complications of of this, which means you know, signs of pulmonary hypertension, you know, heart failure, etc. Uh, and I can delineate that, and you, know, you can correctly ask for an ABG as well. So that was good, like that. And and rume Sats you'd normally get as well. Smoking history you did, fantastic. Uh, And then you mentioned very accurately. Yeah. Every lap band patient I've ever had has had a full stomach, you know, it's yeah. So I'm glad you did a rapid sequence. Uh, We, we asked you a question about the stress test and, you know, there's plenty of people, I think, and again, I'm just one person giving an opinion, but I feel like plenty of people would have gone ahead with it. And plenty of people would have tested because you had enough reasons to test the stress test this patient. I'm glad you erred on the side of stress testing because it is elective. This is, you know, you, you want to probably have the most cautious, thorough approach in this exam. So I think either is fine, but I think it was very fair that you wanted a stress test. Um, we talked about the Zigduo. Yep. Separate them out, give them metformin, cease the Zigduo 72 hours prior. And then, um, yeah, contact endo, check the ketones on the day. If you've got blood sugar levels, I, your answer is very pragmatic, which is exactly what our policies say. So, you know, one blood sugar level greater than 15, not a problem. If it's more than two, uh, re- readings above 15 in a 24-hour period, then you really need to seek medical advice, whether to go to the GP and, you know, maybe up the metformin or do whatever change that's reasonable as well. Uh, so that was good. Uh, then we talked about the airway. You had some really great facts about, you know, neck circumference, BMI, being an independent, difficult LMA and back mass ventilation, correct, um, which is good. And then we talked about the plan and you literally went into the points of difference And I didn't, I wasn't bored by what you said. So what do you want for the end Great, I need a rapid sequence induction for this, uh, which I'm gonna use these drugs for. I'd have an extra margin with an art line, And maybe I would have mentioned the extra padding for the face and the eyes, but because it's a foreign case, that's the only other thing I would have added. Uh, And then the crisis, I think you handled it really well because, so the, uh, you did the safety steps check the reading, tell the surgeon, check your monitors. I gave you information about that, which helped you to proceed. You temporized it with volume and, you know, more aramene. Fantastic. Then you gave me differentials and then you chase the differentials. You said, I'm worried about hemorrhage. The surgeon says it's clear. Fantastic. I'm still going to get an ABG. And now you got your reading. So the one thing I would have added, that was a great structure that you did for the hemorrhage. And then for the, I'm worried about ischemia offer. So I would check the ECG, for any ischemic signs. So every time you give a differential, say what you do to check it because that's what you do in real life. Uh, and then we got to the point of, okay, there is a couple, and, and I'm pretty sure this was a case that actually happened at some stage in Australian anesthesia surgical practice. So, uh, you know, a lot of these cases will come, you know will come out of actual things that have happened potentially. Um, so I you know, don't know any details about, details about that. That was passed down for over, over time. But this is one of those really peculiar, difficult diagnostic elements, but you got there because you searched for it, you know, you gave volume and you gave an ABG. If you had just taken the ABG without giving volume, I would have given you a normal HB because you haven't seen the dilutionary effect of it. So that's great that you, you know, you take an ABG, you take the HB value, but that must be in the context of resuscitation. Otherwise, your reading will be the same as a normal patient. Uh, and then we talked about what happens at the end in terms of priorities. So Stephanie, really, really well done. I think the audience will really enjoy just having heard that and seeing this discussion as well. So thanks a lot.
1: No, oh, thanks so much for your time and it's great. It's been great.
0: No, at all. Okay, so I guess we'll get a close. Um yeah, any questions before we go? Uh- uh, no, it no, no. No, was really
1: good. No, it was really good. It made me feel better that like you also get nervous. The fact that you say you also get nervous in front of the camera.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and, and to be honest, like I'd be so rusty uh, doing an actual vibe of trying to get out facts now because I have to, you know, I've got my notes that I refer to. I don't have to memorize things in the same way that you guys do. So, whew, yeah. Be <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks everyone for watching and listening. Hope this was useful. Please share with anyone who might be interested and uh, yeah, we'll see you next time you <laughs>